December 6, 1984, 14-year-old Gloria Pointer is walking to school. She's excited because she'll be receiving a perfect attendance award that very morning. When she never arrives, the wheels are put into motion and an investigation of rape and murder that spans nearly 30 years will follow. All because a mother refused to believe her daughter's murderer had been caught. This is the incredibly true story of Gloria Pointer waiting for justice. Hey y'all, I'm Chris Calvert. And I'm her husband, Rob Potterf. Welcome to Hitch to Homicide. For better or worse. Till death do us part. Welcome back, everybody. Yes, welcome, welcome, welcome. And for our friends in Bulgaria, Dobri doshri, Dobri doshri, Dobri doshri. And that was a tough one. <laughs> and I did a Vanna White for you. <laughs> Man. That was really good. That was really good. I've got a whole new respect for foreign languages. <laughs> Jeez. I'm just glad you're the one who has to say welcome, welcome, welcome and different languages and not me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, wherever you're listening, be sure to like, rate, and review. That helps other people to find us. Yep. And if you're listening on our YouTube channel, click that right there. Please do. And subscribe. Yeah. We're, we're getting lots of great feedback. And we have a lot of great subscribers. Yes, we do. And I have to, another shout out to Erica, our friend in New Zealand, who keeps doing the indexing for us. Thank you, Erica. She's amazing, really isn't is. she? It's so not necessary, but man, we certainly appreciate Much it. Much appreciated. Yep. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, dear. Well, I just want to start today's podcast by saying I've been criticized in the past for talking <laughs> too much about the life of the victims. Yeah, yeah. But I'm here to tell you, I am never going to stop doing that. Yep. In fact, today we're focusing on the victim and not the killer. Yeah. Because in the words of the mother in our murdered child in today's case, quote, these children are more than how they died, end quote. Yeah. And they are. Everybody who's a victim in our podcast, they are more than just how they died. And so I'm always going to tell you where they went to school and what their favorite thing to eat was. And I'm sorry if you don't like that. Yeah. I mean, that's part of why we do the podcast. It's not, be I mean, yes, of course, it's about the crime and the murder and all that stuff, but it's also about the victims who never get mentioned. It It, it is. It is. I'm not here to glorify a killer. Yep. I'm here to talk about a victim. Yep. Yeah. How they lived, not how they died. So there you go. So I got that off my <laughs> chest. I'm ready to get started. All right. <laughs> I want to thank some sources, Cleveland Magazine, The Journal News, Fox 8 in Cleveland, WKYC in Cleveland, The Cleveland Plain Dealer, The Telegraph Forum, The Marion Star, DeathPenaltyInfo.org, Wikipedia, Grunge.com, and Investigation Discoveries, The Lake Erie Murders. Nice. Well, you ready? I am. All right, let's do it. 
Gloria Everett Pointer is born on February 29, 1970. Her mother, Yvonne, is only 17 when she is born. Okay. Three years later, Gloria gets a baby brother, Raymond. And Gloria's mom is a single mother. And I'm just giving my shout out right now to all the single mm. moms. I did it for a long time. You're heroes. Yep. But Yvonne, Gloria's mother, has said that they lived in the inner city and they lived the inner city single mother lifestyle where you struggle and cry a lot. And I read that and I thought, I don't think you have to live in the in the inner city when you're a single mom to struggle and cry. (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't matter where you are. (laughs) I think if you're just a mom, you struggle and cry a lot. So shout out to all the moms, too. And she was determined that Gloria wasn't going to be caught up in what she called the street life of East Cleveland. Oh, good for her. Now, when Gloria is 10 years old, her mother married and had another daughter, Danielle. But Gloria's mom would divorce this guy in 1984. Mm. Now, Gloria loved to cook especially fried chicken. There you go. Me too, sister. (laughs) Me too. Now you're talking my language. (laughs) She was known to be silly. She was always smiling. She was always excited about the possibilities that her life could bring her. Gloria was happy-go-lucky. And according to her mother, she was the kind of girl everybody would want to have as their daughter. She was a great student at Harry E. Davis Junior High School, where she was a cheerleader. And a kid with perfect attendance. There you go. She loved school. She was never late. She was never absent. She had an amazing smile. And according to her friends, she did this little thing where she would like cock her hip and put her hand on her hip and (laughs) smile. I mean, the pictures of this girl are just so adorable. She's beautiful. No duck lips. No, (laughs) no doing the duck lips. Yeah, I'm not even going to do it. But Gloria had a little boyfriend, and his name was Deshaun Haley, and she loved to talk about him. He was a basketball player. She was a cheerleader. And I saw a cute little story from Deshaun himself where he said that he actually told her that when he met her, he said, one day, you're going to be my girlfriend. Oh, wow. And he said, I'm just going to walk up to you and kiss you one day. Nice. And apparently her reply was, boy, get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everybody loves Gloria right off the bat, right? (laughs) That's great. But he actually did do this. He actually just kind of out of the blue kissed her. And from that moment on, they were boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, wow. Now, her mom will later describe Deshaun as a little bit of a wild child. He was cocky around the girls, but... I mean, I get it. These two liked to hang out at this little store that was near the high school where you could buy candy and play video games. It was just a little hangout for a lot of the kids from Davis where she goes to school. Okay. That's got foreshadowing. Oh, no. We're early today. I know. Oh, geez. On the morning of December 6th, 1984, Gloria was ready to get to school because she's accepting a perfect attendance award that morning. Neat. Did you ever have perfect attendance, Rob? Uh, you're talking to me? <laughs> no. I didn't either. No. I did not ever. I never, not one year of no. my years of public school, because no. we both went to public school, not one year of that did I ever have perfect attendance. Well, in, in all defense here, I am a redhead, so I have every, you know. You got all those recessive genes. Every recessive gene known to man, so. He gets, yeah. he has allergies. Yeah, he gets sick. colds and bronchitis <laughs> and this and that and. You're making yourself sound so appealing, honey. (laughs) I'm a catch. (laughs) You are. I'd take you every day and twice on Sunday. Oh, my gosh. Thank God. (laughs) 
But she was leaving early that morning because she's accepting a perfect attendance award that day. And she would normally meet up with her girlfriends at the corner of East 114th Street and Oroville Avenue. Mm -hmm. And together they would walk the 10 to 15 minutes to school. But on this morning, she left her house around 7 a.m., which was 10 minutes earlier than she usually left for school. And she was going to walk to a girlfriend's house first. She'd called her and asked to borrow a comb for a new hairstyle. Hmm. Love that. Gloria's mother, Yvonne, leaves their home to deliver papers in her car. She has a paper route. Oh, nice. And she sees Gloria walking to school. In fact, they only lived a couple blocks from the school. And the mother rolls down her window and she fusses at her daughter, telling her to stay on the main road and not to take a shortcut through an alley. Mm. Don't cut through. And Gloria's mom had always wanted her daughter to stay on the main roads when she's out walking because it's dangerous. Gloria waves goodbye to her mom. It's the last time her mother will ever see her alive. Mm. Mm. The time comes and goes for Gloria to make it to her girlfriend's house and pick up this comb so her friend goes ahead and goes to school. And there'll be a couple of witnesses who will say later that they saw Gloria talking to a man. One will say he had her by the arm. Another will say that Gloria was speaking with him, and her arms were like crossed over her chest like this. Another would say it seemed like she knew the young man. Okay, Hard to tell. The school attendance ceremony came and went, And Gloria's principal calls her mother at home. She's just made it back after delivering papers. And he asks her, where's Gloria? She missed the perfect attendance award. She wasn't there to accept it. Hmm. She never made it to her friend's house either. And the principal tells Gloria, call the police. But they've already been called. A maintenance worker responded to a noise complaint at an apartment complex on East 105th Street where he worked, and he called the police after finding Gloria's body. She was found unresponsive, dead from blunt force trauma. She's at the bottom of a stairwell in the fire escape. She's heavily bruised. There's an iron bar across her back and half of a red brick next to her body. These are the items that she's been beaten to death with. Gloria is nude from the waist down. Her jacket is off and her pants and panties are only on one leg. And they know this is probably a rape and a homicide when they see the scene. Her books are scattered everywhere. And this apartment building is only a block and a half from her school. The crime scene investigators see a footprint on a door near her body. So they're thinking Gloria's attacker was kicking at this door, probably trying to get it open. And that was the noise complaint that came from the first floor. So most likely he was trying to open the door so he could drag the body inside. Mm. Instead, he fled the scene. So they think that maybe Gloria tried to make a run for it before she's pushed down the stairs and beaten to death. What he did leave behind was trace evidence, blood, hair, and semen. Hmm. But all they really have is the killer's blood type because DNA is way in its infancy at this point. Police show up at Yvonne's home and tell her that they found A body. That's what they say to her first. Mm. And after Yvonne is told about her little girl, Gloria, she's obviously devastated. But she also feels guilty because she saw her walking to school. Of course, yeah. And she thinks, I should have just driven her to school. Yeah. 
But Gloria walked to school every single day. Lots of the kids who lived that close to the school walked to school. And I read that on the evening of December 6th, after Yvonne knows that Gloria has been murdered, several of the kids from the school came to support her, including Deshaun Haley, Gloria's little boyfriend. Okay. Deshaun was a kid who'd been sent by his mother without an explanation to live with an aunt in Columbus, Ohio. Mm. And then he was shipped back to Cleveland only to live with another aunt without explanation. Mm. But after Gloria's death, he continued to go to his girlfriend's home to check on her mother. And when Yvonne asked him why he wasn't wearing a coat in the middle of winter, he told her, I don't have one. He didn't have dress clothes either. Hmm. So Yvonne buys Deshaun a shirt, tie, and pants to wear to Gloria's funeral. And from that day on, Deshaun considered Gloria's mom to be his mother. Now, Yvonne is so very compassionate and empathetic. She does for others to help relieve her own suffering. And this woman, Yvonne, she's doing so much good in the world back then, still today. Hmm. An incredible mother. But while she's taking care of Deshaun and wrestling with her own grief, the police are questioning everybody. And I mean everybody. They started going door to door asking what people had seen and heard. But Deshaun is the first one they want to talk to. Oh, really? Police ask him questions. They take his blood. They take his hair samples. And when Deshaun found out what happened that day, of course, school was just a buzz. And he ran straight out of the school and right to the crime scene. And this poor kid just happened to be there when they are putting Gloria's body into the van. Mm. That's a lot for a kid to deal with, 14, 15 years old. But as they're questioning him, he realizes, they think I did this. But Deshaun was at school, and he was seen at school that morning. He was easily ruled out, but it was something that would freak out a small kid, right? Sure, sure. They also speak with Gloria's uncle, a kid named Henderson Pointer. Gloria and Henderson were really close in age, just three years apart, and they acted more like cousins than uncle-niece, or they acted more like brother and sister. And when they go through all of Gloria's things, they read her journal where she talks a lot about Henderson. Henderson was a promising basketball player, and police take Henderson's blood, hair, and saliva samples from him. And he also feels they think it's me. And the police have admitted that they really went after Henderson. While all this questioning is going on and Henderson is telling police that he's innocent, the results come back on the blood type of the killer based on the semen sample they took. So they want to see if Henderson is a match. Mm -hmm. He's not. Mm. And Henderson did not survive all of this interrogation. Really? He he couldn't make it all this through all this scrutiny among the community because it wasn't just the police. Right. People were like, well, if the police are talking to him, he must be guilty. He's got to be associated with yeah. it. Yeah. And yeah. it was so intense that he ended up quitting school and the basketball team. He was a star basketball player. Wow. He quit school. He quit the basketball team. And then he lied to join the military at the age of 17. Wow. He had to get away from all of it because yeah. it's a lot for a 17-year-old kid yeah. to deal I mean, with. Can you imagine being that age and then having the entire world looking at you like you murdered somebody? Thinking that you murdered this young girl that everybody uh, knows you were really close yeah, to. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Well, police interview kids at the school, teachers, her principal. They look in her locker, anything to help them piece together what happened to Gloria, who she might have been talking to. 
And when it's time for Gloria's funeral, the police are there. They want to see who shows up and if anybody acts suspicious. Gloria's mother, Yvonne, makes a promise that day to her daughter that she will find the killer. But there are no leads and they don't have any suspects. And Gloria's murder will just be one of four teenage girls murdered in the greater Cleveland area in late 1984. Really? In fact, just four months prior to Gloria's murder, 14-year-old Trina Middleton was raped and murdered. Trina was born in 1970. She was a freshman at Shaw High School in Cleveland Heights. And on the night of September 21st, 1984, Trina and two of her friends are walking home from a Friday night football game in East Cleveland. Nothing better than high school (laughs) football in the fall. Nothing better. Yeah, I was on Facebook the other day, and my hometown has a, a Facebook page, and they were showing the football stadium that does not exist there anymore. It's at the new high school. Anyway, it was the one that <laughs> I went to, and it brought back such great memories of yeah. know, going to Friday night football games. That's just ah. the best when you're yeah. in high school yeah. and you go to a Friday night football game. Yeah. And these three are actually walking home from the football game in East Cleveland. And the three girls see a tan or a gold car without its lights on. They avoid it. Mm. But then the car started to creep up behind them. And a man jumped out and tried to grab all three of the girls. He had a knife and he threatened every single one of them. But only Trina was abducted. And Trina was tiny at only 87 pounds. Mm. And the two other girls rushed into a nearby house. They called police. Trina's body will be found the next morning in Forest Hill Park, by a couple who drove into the parking lot near the park's swimming pool. She had been stabbed seven times in the chest. Oh, my gosh. She was partially dressed, and little Trina had been raped. Mm. Now, on the exact same day that Gloria is raped and murdered, December 6th, 1984, a man attempts to abduct and assault 11-year-old Melinda Grissom. Melinda's younger sister sees this whole thing unfold. She sees the attack. And after Melinda is thrown into this car, her mother is alerted Mm. and her mother stops them by holding on to the side of the car. And she's screaming for help. And the roads were really icy. And little Melinda's assailant, he couldn't get the car away fast enough on the ice. He was just spinning his wheels. And Melinda is able to escape. And because the car is seen by two young men who just happened upon the scene, the car, which actually ran over little Melinda's leg getting away, these two guys, they write down the license plate number. Good job, guys. Good job. Wow. Later that day, while some officers are dealing with the murder of Gloria Pointer, other police officers are arresting 28-year-old Ramel Broom. Ramel had quite the rap sheet. (laughs) He'd robbed at gunpoint and had raped a 12-year-old girl Mm. who was babysitting his niece back in January of 1975. In March of 1975, he committed another armed robbery. He later pled guilty to rape, aggravated robbery, and robbery. Wow. He went to prison, was paroled on May 11, 1984, and by September of 1984, he was back to abducting, raping, and murdering. Mm. Back at his old tricks. Absolutely. Now, after the attempt at kidnapping little Melinda, he's charged with numerous crimes, including the aggravated murder of Trina Middleton, the little girl who was walking home from the football game. He confesses and offers to plead guilty in exchange for a sentence of 30 years to life. But his offer is rejected. 
and he is found guilty and sentenced to death. Ooh, wow, good. So on the same day Gloria is abducted, raped, and murdered, Ramel Broom tries to pick up this little girl after raping and murdering Trina Middleton four months earlier. I just wanted to I wanted to piece all that together for you, okay? Okay. Hold that thought. I'm holding. After Gloria's murder, police questioned at least 100 kids that went to the school with Gloria. And they asked around. They followed leads. And all of these leads went nowhere. In short, the hunt for Gloria's killer goes stone cold. Hmm. And Yvonne is calling the homicide department every week. What do you know? What are the new leads? And they had to tell her, we don't have any. We got nothing. Yeah. Yeah. But because Trina's murder and the attempt on Melinda all happens on the same day, police think that Ramel is Gloria's killer. And after he's arrested, the investigation just kind of shuts down. But Yvonne, Gloria's mom, she's not having it. She wants proof. She wanted to know for sure who the killer of her daughter was. And Yvonne began using her pain for justice. She looked at every man as the possible killer of her daughter. She pushed the police department harder to look deeper and to find more evidence. They did have semen, but again, it's 1984 and DNA isn't really a routine thing yet. It's it's in its infancy at that point. Yes. So here's the scene. This is East Cleveland. It seems like felons and bad guys are everywhere. And Gloria's mom, Yvonne, has even said that every time she looked at a man or would talk to another man, in her mind, she's questioning, were you the guy who raped and murdered my daughter? Because these girls were being attacked so frequently. And you can't blame her for what she was feeling. No. One attacker was 30-year-old Hernandez Warren. Nine months after Gloria's body is found, Hernandez breaks into a home in Gloria's neighborhood where he knifed a 53-year-old woman, attacked a 71-year-old woman, Mm. and raped a 20-year-old girl. He's arrested two months later, and he will serve 17 years in prison, four of them in Grafton from April of 1991 to April of 1995. He pled guilty to drug abuse in 1983 and was sentenced to three to 10 years, but his sentence was suspended and he was placed on five years probation. (laughs) Why'd they do that? That's what he was out for when he raped the 20-year-old and then uh, assaulted the 71-year-old. Yeah, he was on probation for five years. Okay, whatever. Yeah. And even before that, he pled guilty to drug trafficking in 1982 and a misdemeanor charge of carrying a concealed weapon in 1981. Other than that, he was a model citizen. Yeah. yeah. So, but when this happens, when he rapes this girl and he accosts these two other women, Hernandez Warren goes to jail, 1985, and he'll be released 16 years later in 2001. Okay. Now, while Yvonne deals with her grief, she organizes support groups. Parents Against Child Killing. It's for other families like hers. Sure. In July of 1985, not even a year after Gloria's murder, she spoke on a radio show about missing children with a then-senator named Lee Fisher. Okay. And in 1991, Fisher, who was at that point the Ohio Attorney General, he hired Yvonne as a regional liaison to work with another woman whose 10-year-old daughter had been abducted in 1989 and found murdered in 1990. Wow. 
She also creates the Gloria Pointer Memorial Scholarship Fund that provided financial aid to needy college-bound kids from Cleveland's public schools. She's doing everything she can. Yeah, she's a good person. Gloria's mom is turning her pain into something good. And if I've ever seen somebody turn pain into something good, it is this woman. Yvonne then put together a midnight basketball league to keep kids and people off the street. It was to deter crime. Young men in the toughest parts of Cleveland were invited to play basketball four nights a week from 10 p.m. until 2 a.m. at a city rec center. But before they got to play basketball, they had to sit through a workshop about job training or continuing education or workshops on AIDS awareness or drug abuse. So they they wanted them off the street. They wanted them to have fun and play basketball, but they also wanted them to learn something. And she was keeping these guys off the street during the most violent hours. And she is actually going to be credited with lowering crime rates on nights that this league is operating. Good for her. Yeah. And I actually read that she got the idea for Midnight Basketball because there was a league in Chicago and in Washington, D.C. And when she heard about it, she got herself on a bus that day and went to Chicago so she could see how it happened. So she could set it up the exact same way. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. Now, every time a new police chief took office, she's right there asking for more to be done to solve Gloria's murder. She started speaking in prisons, hoping that if she spoke about Gloria's murder, somebody might know something or know someone who might know something. She thinks if inmates meet a grieving mother, it might compel one of them not to hurt anybody else. But she's also thinking maybe Gloria's murderer is in this room and he might stand up and say, it was me. I'm sorry. And because of this, she begins to correspond with 20 or so prisoners after sitting in on a victim awareness class where these violent criminals talked about their crimes. But more than just their crimes, they talked about their own lives where they were like molested as kids and sort of what drove them to be the way they are. And Yvonne believes that some of them are victims, too. And one of the victims she writes to, the man the police think is her daughter's murderer. Really? Ramel Broom. Oh, wow. Ramel never writes back to Yvonne, but she will write to him for years. And I mean years, Hmm. she writes to him, without stopping, even though he's not returning her letters. Yeah, which is... uh kind of suspicious since he's not returning any of her mail or anything like that. Well, this is a man who's on death row. Yeah. But you would, he's not a nice guy. I know, but just the fact that he's not even going to reach yeah. Well, I'm suspicious. Hang on. <laughs> hang on, Mr. Suspicious. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> In 1988, the semen samples taken from Gloria's murder are found to not have enough DNA to upload into the new national DNA database called CODIS. Really? So they have it, but it's not it's not enough for the system that's in place in 1988. Okay. Okay. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's really in its infancy. Okay. And I feel like back then they needed like a quart of blood. We can get some DNA from this. Yeah. But, you know, trace evidence on, you know, somebody's coat. They're not they're not prepared to do anything like that yeah, yet. It was uh, what around 1986 is when it really started to take hold and, and become something. It's not until the 90s, I believe, and somebody can correct me, but we've looked this up before. I believe it's in the 90s when DNA evidence is actually used in a court of law. Oh, okay. 
to find somebody guilty, right. which is, you know, different than just having DNA right. and thinking it belongs to somebody. Right. Sure. But Yvonne spoke locally for a few years about her daughter's murder. And then she goes national. Mm. She went on the Oprah Winfrey oh, really? show. Wow. Yes, she did. Wow. And since she started this crusade to make the streets safer, she's been awarded the Queen Latifah Project Confidence Award. Nice. She's been a winner at the Essence Awards. And she was awarded the 908th Point of Light by President Bush. Wow. Just to name a few. I could go on and on about the things that this woman has done good and the awards her. that she has has been given because she's just a good lady. She's every she's the mom everybody wants to have. Oh, yeah. She's a good lady. Good for her. But no matter what, no matter how many times she calls the police and they say we don't have anything, she does not give up the fight to find her daughter's killer. And all this time, she's helping others. Gotcha. In 2005, the county prosecutor's office gets a cold case unit and a man named Jack Bornfield is in charge. And Yvonne is there again. She's pushing to have this cold case unit get on her daughter's cold case. Do it now. This is what we have. In 2009, Ramel Broom, the man the police believe is Gloria's killer, he's sitting on death row, but now he's scheduled for execution. Mm. September 15th, 2009. And at this point, Yvonne has been writing to Ramel for 25 years, Amazing. asking him if he murdered her daughter. Yeah. She is relentless. Yeah. On September 15th, 2009, the executioners tried for two hours to maintain an IV on Ramel in order to give him the lethal injection. Whoa. They stuck him 18 times. Wow. And apparently one time they hit bone. Really? And the execution fails and Ramel is sent back to his cell on death row. Oh, man. Yvonne doesn't know this. She thinks he's dying that night. And she I've actually seen in an interview where she says, I spent the night crying mm. because she felt bad. This guy was dying and she didn't get out of him what she really wanted. Right. But he went back. He goes back to his cell. And I believe it was the first legal execution that failed in like 40 years really? in the United States of America. Yeah. 18 times they stick this guy. That's amazing. Then the next day, September 16th, 2009, a letter arrives in Yvonne's mailbox. Oh. It's postmarked from the prison. It's from Ramel Broom. Really? Yes. Oh, do tell. He tells her that he is not the man who murdered her daughter, wow. that he had nothing to lose at this point. I've got nothing to lose. I've got nothing to gain by telling you all this information. And he said, I have no reason to lie. Mm. I had nothing to do with your baby daughter's death. Wow. And he tells her, you make the police keep looking for her murderer because it's not me. And the police have been pinning this on me for the last 25 years. Wow. Now, Yvonne has to be saying to the police at this point, I told you so. So all these years have passed and still Yvonne doesn't know who murdered her daughter. Yeah. And this is going to drag. It's been dragging on for years and it's going to drag on for even more years. In 2013, Yvonne's sister, Sylvia, sees a reporter who's doing a story on the retesting of old DNA in old rape kits. Mm. Her name is Rachel Dissel. And Sylvia emails her at the newspaper and says, look it, we've been working to find justice for my niece, Gloria Pointer, for 29 years. Mm -hmm. Do you think you can help us? And she did. Oh. 
She called the county medical office and the county prosecutor's office, and she said, dig out the evidence for Gloria Pointer. See if you can test it with the most recent techniques. And they did. Mm. You can run, but you can't hide because they discovered that the DNA slides were compromised the first time they tried to upload them into the new CODIS system back in 2008. But they don't need that much DNA now to get a match. They just need a little wisp, a little hair, a little spot. A frog's hair. Exactly. (laughs) Three weeks later, the chief of police, who Yvonne knew really well because she calls him all the time. He calls her and says... Come downtown. Quote, we're waiting for you at City Hall. Oh, wow. End quote. Wow. This is getting good. And Yvonne thinks this has something to do with another case that she's been helping the police with. Because at this point, Yvonne is a crisis manager. And for the last 29 years, she has consoled people who, like her, have suffered terribly. They've had these horrible losses due to the worst kind of crimes in her city. Right. And Yvonne's thinking... I'm going to City Hall to discuss another case because she's been working with another family. When she arrives, she sees Chief of Police Toomba and two other police officers, one of whom she recognized because she'd worked on Gloria's cold case. And they tell her, sit down. And she says, sit down for what? (laughs) (laughs) I love her. They show her a picture of a man in his 20s. He's clean shaven. He's handsome. And they ask her, do you, do you know this guy? Do you recognize him? Mm. And she says, no, never seen him before. Okay. Who is he? Now, when inmates are put into prison, their DNA is taken for the CODIS. And if you're already in prison by the time they started doing this, they're taking your DNA, too. And now the high tech of DNA can pick up just about anything, sure. just like we were saying. Yeah. When they retested the DNA on Gloria's clothes, they got a match. It was a match to a known criminal and rapist, a guy who lived near Gloria and Yvonne's home. Really? Yeah. Wow. He was an adopted kid whose parents owned a couple of stores in the area, stores where the kids used to go hang Mm. out and get candy. Wow. He thought he was cool. He thought the ladies really liked him. He thought that all the girls had a thing for him. And his M.O. was to give the young girls he wanted drugs or alcohol. Mm. But he'd been caught in 1984 and sentenced to prison for rape and burglary. It was Hernandez Warren. Uh, Really? A man who'd been released from prison in 2001 and was living again right near Yvonne's house. She's been looking for 29 years for the killer and rapist of her daughter, and he's living down the street. He was. Now, at the time of Gloria's rape and murder, Hernandez was 30 years old, and now he's 58 years old. Mm. He's bald. He wears glasses. And his DNA was sitting in the database for over 20 years. He was. May 13th, 2013, police go to Warren's home. Knock, knock. (laughs) (laughs) Who's there? (laughs) He opens the door. He's read his rights. And they tell him, let's take a little ride. (laughs) We got a few questions. We got a few questions for you. And he actually goes with them without a fuss. When he gets to the downtown police station, he is questioned. Mm. They have slam dunk DNA evidence against this guy. But it has been almost 29 years, and the statute of limitations has run out on the rape charge. 
Now, they can prove he raped her by the DNA, but what if there were two men on the scene that day that Gloria died? What if what if Hernandez only committed the rape and not the murder? Right, so right. they have to get him to talk. Okay. They've got to get him to confess. So they start asking him questions and showing him photos of Gloria. Do you know this area well? Did you grow up here? Do you know this girl? And Hernandez reacts when he sees her picture mm. and he begins to cry because he knows he's been had. <laughs> he knows they have his DNA wow. because he had to give it up at the prison. Yeah. And the officer says to him, you need to get this off your chest. This is going to mess with you until the day you die. Yeah. And Hernandez Warren replies, quote, I'm ready to die now. Oh, wow. Then he fails a polygraph, and then he just flat out confesses, quote, I don't know what happened, end quote. Gee whiz. The more he talks about it and the more the detective hammers away at him, he says, quote, just kill me now. Just kill me now. <laughs> yeah, you gave up the goods. Yeah. Wow. They tell him, we've got your DNA. This is it, dude. We've got it. Yeah. And then unexpectedly, he gets down on the floor at the police station and he shows the detectives how he did it. Wow. He explains she's at the bottom of these steps sniveling and he pushed her into the wall and she cried out, mommy. Ugh. That was her last word before she died. Jeez. Mommy. Wow. Hernandez just falls to pieces. Yeah. He starts crying and the detective said to him, quote, she didn't deserve that. Mm. And he even says to her, you know, things like she wasn't she wasn't a lady of the night. She wasn't a sex worker. She was just a girl. And you knew exactly what you were doing. And he's just sitting there. <laughs> yeah, whatever. But at the same time, it's hard to say if he was remorseful for murdering Gloria because he told the detectives that they were going to kill him in prison because Gloria was so young. Yeah. When they found out that he had done this to a young girl, they were going to kill him in prison. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, 99.9% .9 of these criminals are selfish and narcissistic. So I'm sure that those tears were more for he was afraid to be killed in prison. Some crocodile tears, exactly, man. Than, yeah. Than killing a young yeah. Girl. yeah. Whatever, dude. So they ask him, they're in this interrogation room and they ask him, did you do this? And he says, yes. Did you rape her? Yes. Did you kill her? Yes. Wow. He admitted that he raped Gloria in the stairwell while he was under the influence of drugs. And after the assault, she attempted to leave. And that's when he pushed her down the stairs and beat her to death with the pipe or the brick. Jeez. And he even remembered that it was like a steel pipe or a, a brick of some sort. Wow. Now, later on, his defense attorney is going to say that they never asked him if he wanted an attorney. Oh, no. So there's this huge hullabaloo about whether or not this confession is admissible in court. Mm. But here's the thing. Hernandez Warren's confession of Gloria's murder and assault, they were videotaped. And he had been interviewed by authorities for over 11 hours. Oh. And later, his defense attorney wanted all of this evidence to be thrown out because they thought he had been denied the right to speak with an attorney. And authorities, however, they noted that he never asked for counsel. Mm. And that being said, Hernandez Warren requested to revoke his guilty plea. Uh, so that's why I'm saying crocodile tears, yeah, dude. Yeah. yeah. Yep. He expressed that he had been coerced into a confession by the police. Right. 
Even so, prosecutors denied Warren's request and stated that the evidence clearly showed he was guilty. Wah, wah. Yeah, well, he had all the Sorry. he had all the details to the murder. Yeah, it showed him exactly how he killed her. Yeah, whatever. A panel of three judges heard the confession, the evidence, and the charges of aggravated murder and rape. And to avoid the death penalty, Hernandez Warren takes a plea deal, thirty to life. Mm. Now, at his hearing. Yvonne is there. You know, Mama Yvonne's showing up. Don't mess with Mama Bear. Don't mess with her. She read a poem that she wrote titled Behind the Death of a Child. And Judge Michael Astrub told Warren, quote, you are the personification of evil that exists in this world, end quote. Wow. Good for him. And then Hernandez Warren himself, he addressed Yvonne and he apologized. He stated that he grappled with, quote, the depth of pain and sorrow that I have caused your family. I am the one to blame for all of this, end quote. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah, you are the one to blame for all yeah, of this. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah. kept it a secret for 29 years. Yes. Now, as for Yvonne, when she saw Hernandez for the first time, she said something to the effect like, That little old man, that's him. (laughs) Because, you know, in her mind, she's built this guy up to be this monster, which he is. But he's just a short little bald guy with glasses. Police credit Yvonne with never giving up on finding her daughter's killer. And to Rachel Dissel of the Cleveland Plain Dealer, who forwarded Sylvia Pointer's email to the right authorities in order to get the DNA tested once more. Now, Yvonne still advocates for victims, and funny enough, when she was visiting prisons, telling her story and listening to the inmates' stories at Grafton Prison, Mm -hmm. Hernandez Warren was there from 1991 to 1995, years when Yvonne was there looking into the eyes of these men, wondering if one of them raped and murdered her daughter. And he had. And he had. She chose to honor her daughter's life by being an advocate and an activist, and she has dedicated her life to preventing violence. Quote, it comes down to the fact that we have to take ownership of our recovery. If there's something you don't like, change it, end quote. Good for her. And change this woman (laughs) did make. Hernandez Warren was sentenced on May 30th, 2014, almost 30 years after he murdered Gloria, He sits at the Toledo Correctional Institution, and he will be eligible for parole in March of 2043 (laughs) when he is 88 years old. And his parole will be denied, 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 denied. denied. As for our friend Ramel Broom, well, after his botched death by lethal injection, he sued. He sat on death row until 2020 when COVID-19 claimed his life. Oh, wow. Really? Yes. Oh, geez. And as for Rachel Dissel, the reporter who put the wheels in motion, yeah. well, all she had to say was, quote, I simply asked the questions a reporter is supposed to ask, there you end go. quote. Good for Just her. out there making crime journalists everywhere proud. There you go. Good job, Rachel. <laughs> so her mother, for all these years, never let go. And instead of becoming bitter, she just became better. And she made everybody around her better until she actually found the killer of her daughter. But that is the story of Gloria Pointer, and that's all I have to say about that. Hey, Hitch to Homicide listeners. This is Chris Calvert. 
I love doing research and writing about real crimes, but I also love writing about fictional people who commit horrible atrocities. When you're ready to take a break from true crime for fictional crime, go to chriscalvert.com where you'll find all my books, including some free ones to get you started. Jane Doe is one badass chick who quietly hunts terrorists in the United States. The Sex and Lies books are all FBI and CIA cases with a little romance on the side. And coming summer 2022, book 10 in the series, Sex, Lies, and Rock and Roll, releases. You can find all of these books everywhere, and if you like to listen instead of read, you can find them all on Audible. So go grab a free book or take a listen. I love all the characters I've written. I've given them pain, ruined their lives, make them suffer, and maybe even throw in a heroic death. Or maybe they live to fight another day. Check it all out at chriscalvert.com. And thanks for being a listener of Hitched to Homicide. Well, good for Yvonne. I know, right? Wow, that's, uh, that's a strong woman right there. I know. There are so many people who think of her as a mother figure. Yeah. I mean, all these kids on the street, all of her daughter's friends, and her boyfriend, Deshaun, mm-hmm. to this day, he considers her wow. his mom. She helped him find jobs. Wow. She she did all kinds of things yeah. with him, for him, and other kids. That's great. And other kids. Yeah. An amazing, an amazing woman. It's nice to have a story that has such an uplifting yeah. side to it yeah. and not just the horrible parts that we usually talk about. Well, Yvonne, if you ever listen to this episode, God bless you. God bless you. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. All right, well, let's uh, let's go away from that and go away to this. A little bless your heart. Well, bless your heart. All right, I've got a few of them today. Oh, my goodness. Now, usually you'd like tick them off for me. I've got three, I've got four. Now you've got a few. i got a few. So. Okay, I'm ready. This first one, Telltale Trousers is the title of this one. <laughs> Like the telltale heart. You got it. You got it. (laughs) When an attempted robbery at a Lowe's home improvement store went awry, Milton J. Hodges fled across the street and jumped a fence right into the Cypress Cove nudist resort and spa. (gasps) (laughs) As the Orlando Sentinel pointed out, quote, as one of the only folks wearing clothing, Hodges was easily spotted by the police and charged with attempted robbery. Spotted him in a minute. <laughs> sorry about that. Excuse me. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just passing through. Mm-hmm. All right. This next one is called No Vacancy. <laughs> okay. Mitchell Deslot walked into a Baton Rouge, Louisiana hotel and asked the clerk for a room. But the problem was that the clerk wasn't a clerk. He was a state trooper. <gasps> and the hotel was actually a state trooper station. <laughs> That's when Deslot was arrested and charged with driving while intoxicated. Um, what was your first clue? But I mean, I get it. You know, those blue police uniforms, they look a lot like the Radisson uniforms or something. Oh my gosh. All right. This third one. You mean it's not scout night? (laughs) Two machete wielding men barged into a Sydney, Australia bar demanding money. That seems pretty normal. It's Australia. Guys with, what did they have? Machetes? Machetes. Okay, I, maybe I just have Crocodile Dundee in my head that that's what it's like over there. Hi, mate. What they didn't know was that a club was actually hosting a bikers meeting at the time. Oh. <laughs> one of the robbers ended up in the hospital and the other one hogtied with electrical wire until authorities arrived. 
Don't mess with the bikers. No, no. Don't mess with the bikers, All right. man. All right, next one. Banana attack. Oh, gosh. I don't even know where this is going, but it started with banana. So, According to the bus driver, it was a brutal, unprovoked attack. A woman got on his bus and assaulted him with a half-eaten banana. I had banana all over me, he insisted, on my tie, on my shirt, and my eye. The woman explained that the driver had almost hit her car and that when she entered the bus to rationally discuss the matter, the banana slipped right into his tie, his shirt, and eye. The court may not have believed that, but it did believe her when she argued that it was unreasonable that a banana could cause so much damage. Okay. They still slapped her with a fine of about 100 bucks. First off, if she has a car, why is she catching the bus? I don't know. That's my first question. <laughs> Second question, don't eat on the bus. Why do you have a half-eaten banana in your hand in the first place? Oh, man. Okay. All right. And last but not least... <laughs> this one's just ridiculous. And the others weren't. I, keep going. Well, keep going. Yeah, I'm going to raise the bar or maybe lower the bar. Yeah. Okay. This one is called You Should Read the Book You Stole. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> Callie Ruff of Middletown, Ohio, was picked up for shoplifting from a Dollar General store with her two young children in tow. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Among the booty was a book called 100 Ways to Be a Great Mom. Oh, how ironic. <laughs> oh, my God. The irony. I know. I know. People are That's just, tough. Yeah, people are dumb. Go to, the, go to the library if you need books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Go to the library. That's all I have. Well, if you have a bless your heart or you know somebody's heart who needs blessing, yep. you can go to hitchtohomicide.com. There's a pull-down menu. Yep. All you got to do is fill it out. You can also suggest a case. Mm-hmm. That is all we have today. Hope I didn't talk too much about a victim. <laughs> I'm off my soapbox, <laughs> as you can clearly tell. Yeah, well. <laughs> that's my amazing husband out there. And that's my beautiful bride in the booth. Join us next time on Hitch to Homicide. Bye, y'all.